A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, it is the big one, the first race preview of the year. MotoGP is back, ladies and gentlemen, and it is headed to Portimao for round one. Keith's going to take us through his first insider's guide of the year. We're also taking a look at how Moto2 and Moto3 stacks up this season. Lots of your questions to answer. And crucially, we'll be making our big predictions for the year. And we want to get you involved as well. So if you do... Uh, play along at home and you can send in your predictions to the email podcast at crash.net we'd love to hear them Uh, as well as any questions you have you can send us a voice note to that very same email on your phone keep it to 30 seconds the email address is podcast at crash.net my name is harry benjamin joining me as ever is crash moto gp editor pete mclaren and former grand prix rider and british champion keith hewan and keith we're finally here the first weekend of the year. It feels like it's been quite a long off-season, to be honest. But Portimao, round one, what can we look forward to? I think we, we can look forward to being at Portimao as opposed to Qatar, which is um, quite amusing on some of the socials, you know. Some of the guys that sort of do the countdown as we go. There was one guy particularly on Twitter that kept on saying, only seven days to Qatar until somebody kind of kindly reminding him of where we're actually going to. So um, Port- Portimao... Portugal is a great place to go to anyway. It's a great racetrack. It's uphill down there. It's completely different to, to Qatar, obviously. It's going to be in the daylight as well, which is which will be quite nice from that point of view. The weather there is should be reasonable, although it can be a bit changeable and a bit windy where we are. Um, big question mark still for me is, is how they've sorted out the uh, gravel traps. That's a big job that they've got to do. They've got great big boulders for, for gravel, like a, you know MOT Type 1 that you put under your road or something, as opposed to the nice little gravel that you need to slow bikes down in in those traps so that's a big job that should be done prior to this weekend although having said that we've had moto 3 moto 2 testing haven't heard anything out of the track regarding any of that um very negative during the moto gp test um regarding the gravel trap so hopefully they will have got it sorted by the time we get there track itself you know i just think it's just one of those wonderful tracks in the sort of vein of Phillip Island, but only a bit closer, if you like. It's a very, very technical, difficult racetrack um, that gives spectacular racing. And I think we're going to be in for a great weekend. I can't say much more than that, really. No, well, go, Looking forward go, to what? it, particularly the, particularly the sprint race. The sprint race on a track like that, it's going to be absolute balls out. <laughs> that, final corner is good. that final corner is going to be immense, isn't it? But what about outside of the track? You know, come on, what bars can we go to? Any 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 little corners of Portimao well, that you can it- recommend? 
Well, no, because Portimao is one of those places where you know it's developing. Mm. It's it, every year it gets more and more and more. You got to remember that racetrack was almost bankrupt just a few years ago. They they didn't run anything there, and then we had the pandemic, and of course Formula One went there, MotoGP went there, and all of a sudden this place is the place mm. to be on the earth. So it's it's a developing area, um, and Portugal itself is a different kind of area to go to as well. It's not like it's it's like Spain, but not like Spain. Um, plenty of room to wander around. There wasn't that many people there, really, comparatively. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it develops this year, I think. Uh, Bar-wise, I think this is the year to report on the bars. Yeah. We'll come, come back to us next year for the bar recommendations. Um, but you did re- you I did so. uh, mention sprint races, Pete. Finally, we talked about it long enough. We're going to get the first one. Uh, they're not doing a Formula One star where they're introducing a couple per year and seeing how they go. They've gone all guns blazing. They're going to be at every single race. It's going to be havoc for our predictions as well later on. Uh, but if people haven't been watching or listening over the winter, could you just give us a little reminder of, of how this is going to work? Because it's had to sort of take a bit of a rejig of, of the format for, for MotoGP in, in general. That's right, Harry. Yeah, this is this is the big change, isn't it, for this year, really, is these sprint races. And uh, as you say, there'll be 21 of them, one at every round. So it instantly doubles the calendar to uh, 42 races. So the sprint races will be Saturday afternoon, uh, there's going to be overall over the whole weekend, there won't be any change in the amount of track time because that would have then there'd be knock ons with you'd have to increase the number of tires. There'd be issues with the engine mileage, things like that. So they've what they've done is they've taken away a free practice, if you like. So free practice four no longer exists. They're now going to have what they call practice one and practice two on Friday. So not free practice, practice one and practice two, because those practices will dis- will decide the top 10 that go directly through to qualifying two. And then uh, Saturday morning, there'll be a short free practice session, free practice three, the only one that isn't, if you like, counting for a qualifying session or something else. That's their only chance to work a race setup, but it's in the morning. It's a completely opposite time to any of the races. So you'll have a free practice three in the morning, then into qualifying in the morning. And then at the end of Saturday, you'll have the sprint race. Sunday, you'll still have the same sort of uh, format. So you'll have the warm up and then the main race. The sprint race, half distance. So... uh, and roughly half points, but they've avoided giving, you know, decimal places to the points. So, you know, they, they're keeping the maths a bit, maths a bit easier for us on that. Fuel-wise, although it's half distance, they're giving them about one litre more, if you like. So if they took the 22 litres, divided it in half, it would be 11. They're going to have 12 for the sprint race. So okay. the teams that are a bit more, with a bit more powerful engine, a bit thirstier, they'll be able to run flat out a little bit longer. So uh, that's really the, the only change there. So, yeah, that's, that's roughly the format. It's going to be more about tyres, isn't it? It's the fact is they're not going to have to manage tyres at all. I don't think that's going to be a big deal in Portugal. But uh, at some racetracks, you know, on a on a on a tyre eating type track, the sprint race is going to be one of those ones where you're going to be able to give it everything you've you've got. Like you say, fuel it a bit more as well, which will give you all the power. Um, so that's where it's going to be interesting for a sprint. I still don't think we're anywhere near like set up enough for this yet. I don't think there's been enough testing in the right kind of conditions to to get that differential between sprint race and main race, that differential in, in the amount of track time they're going to be out on track. And there are going to be different strategies. So it's going to be a spanking weekend. <laughs> well, Mike sent a question in about sprint races. So now it seems like a good time to play it. So here's what Mike has to say. G'day, gentlemen. Mike here from Sydney, Australia. My question's around the two race strategy this year, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, how do you think riders will approach the race weekend and uh, what will their strategy be for Saturday and what will their strategy be that for Sunday? Will Saturday be win at all costs or will self-preservation kick in to ensure they've got themselves right for Saturday, Sunday? Keen to hear your thoughts. 
bloody good question. I've got to say that's a really good question because that I don't think anybody's got worked out yet. Yeah, Saturday is going to be great, especially at the beginning of the – first of all, you've got to really get a bit of a feeling for the start of a year. I mean, these guys have been pretty much off, been doing testing, been training like mad. This is like – you know when you let that horse out into a brand-new field full of grass and it starts jumping about and kicking its legs in the air and all the rest of it? That's a bit like how it feels at the beginning of a season of racing. You're out on the racetrack for the first time. It's the real thing. Everyone's around you. Everyone's got their race face on. And they're all waiting to go for it, trying to control that, trying to roll that back um, for a long race and trying to work a strategy out for a long race. It's pretty difficult, particularly when you're a youngster. But for a 20, for a half distance race, a sprint race on a Saturday, um, i got a feeling this is going to be like elbows and, and feet and God knows what's going on uh, as far as, because they're not going to worry about the strategic side of things quite so much. It's not, not going to worry about, I'm, I'm talking MotoGP, of course, because the others are going to have to sit and wait until Sunday anyway. But uh, the, the MotoGP guys on, on Saturday, it is just going to be flat out and seeing if they can scratch to the end. It's going to be go- a bit like going back to the old days when you when you were riding in nationals or something where, where you know, it was th- there was really no strategy. You just get on your bike and ride the hell out of it. And in amongst all of this are going to be the techs, the team that are going to be trying to decipher everything that's going on with the bike as we move forward through the year. So... I think strategically things will develop through the year. I don't think any of these guys really, really have a, a defined strategy at this point. You know, they've got obviously a, a, a parameter that they want to work within, um, but we're going to see uh, that's talking tech, by the way. I don't think the riders going to have a parameter at all. It's going to be, you know, go for it. Let's see where we go on the Saturday. Can't wait. Do I sound excited? <laughs> yes. The, the riders have basically said what, you, what you've said there, Keith, because obviously we've been asking them all winter, you know, how are you preparing for the sprint races, et cetera, et cetera. And they're saying, look, we're trying to plan. We're trying to, you know, train so that we're a bit more, you know, get up to speed quicker straight away. But to be honest, we don't know until we do the races. We, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen until they've got two or three of these sprint races in the books. Then they can start to understand more about, okay, this is what you need to succeed in them. And this is what you don't. And, and, you know, we're into the unknown right now, aren't we? And uh, and then, and, and we're going to see if the, if we've got short race bikes. Yeah, which bikes are going to work better in the short race? Which bikes are going to we're going to see a little bit more of a performance out of in a short race? Are there going to be some that do that? Is the is the the Honda going to be on its on its you know metal when we get to the the first sprint race? Now, is it going to be a situation that's going to suit some bikes better than others? I suppose is the short phrase that I've got to say. Good question though. It is because, and also the rider approach to go back to that. If you're a rider and you and you know, look, I haven't got a chance in this long race. I can't get the tires to last, but I can ride the hell out of it in the sprint race. Whereas if you're if you're looking good for the long distance, you might be a bit conservative in the sprint race. Go, you know what? I don't want to get into too much trouble here because I'm I'm looking really good for the Sunday race. So you've got these different approaches, haven't you? Where guys, some guys might think the sprint race is my best chance, maybe only chance of being at the front this weekend. I'm just going to go for it. And then you've got the favourites, if you like, who will say, look, stay out of trouble. Keith mentioned previously consistency this year with so many races. If they're thinking championship, it'll be stay out of trouble, get some decent points, race, you know, race again on Sunday. So you've got two completely opposite approaches, potentially. And the sprint race really adds that dynamic. 42 races during the year. You can't afford to drop a sprint race. There's too many of them. There's too too much. As you've already mentioned in the build-up, Ari, you know, in Formula 1, you get a, the occasional sprint race. This is a full season of sprint races. We've got 21 sprint races. They are going to make the difference to the overall championship by the end of the year. And crucially, though, if you win it, it's not 
classified as a Grand Prix win, is it? That is very crucial to remember that. Like, remember that, everybody. Uh, but if you win it, I wonder how much they'll be celebrating. What if they? What, do you reckon? Have they said what they'll get if they if they win? Will they? Because are they, they going to do like a full on? Well, you're still, still going to be a Grand Prix world champion at the end of the year. The, the points at the end of the year, are the ones that tally to be a, a Grand Prix world champion, a manufacturer's champion, da 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 da. As far yeah. as I'm aware, anyway, unless they've done yeah, the, yeah, that I've not points, noticed. So at the end of the day, it might not be a Grand Prix, but you're still winning a Grand Prix series no, by using. No, it. I know, but it just in, in Formula One, if they win, that's obviously slightly different. That's obviously then pole position for the next for the main Grand Prix. But they get they do the little a weird sort of podium, and they give them, they give them more like a wreath and a medal rather than like um <laughs> rather than like the full there is, there the is full gonna podium, be a podium ceremony. Yeah, there is there a, is a different kind of podium ceremony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, that'll be one. I still want to work out uh, how they've done their bonuses. Yeah, um, that's the bit that I want to work out. <laughs> their contracts will have been pre um, pre sprint racing. I want to know whether they were per race, per Grand Prix, which per point. isn't, so therefore bonuses won't be paid in that situation. I want to know what's going on behind the scenes. The first time I hit the track, I'm going to the managers, not the <laughs> Yeah, riders. we need a manager to give us all of that info. Um, well, I, no, of course they won't. Uh, do a bit of sweet talking, Keith. Go on. Uh, buy them a beer. Uh, either way, I think we're very excited to see uh, the sprint race action and how that's going to affect the whole weekend in general. Um, we haven't talked really much uh, over the winter about Moto2 and Moto3, partly because there's so much so many riders in there and, and it's, they've been a bit quiet they have just done i think they're finishing up some testing uh the weekend before the grand prix in portimao but let's start with moto three shall we keith has anybody caught your eye there obviously i was uh, uh, claimed the title last year he moves up but uh, ayumi suzaki stays on as the highest returning rider we've got a couple of brits in there as well scott ogden joshua uh watley too well You've just said Scott Ogden. I think Scott Ogden had a brilliant year last year. I mean, Michael Lavett, his Vision Track team, you know, it's, it's a, it was a newcomer to the, to the... I think if you'd have given Laverty those kind of performances, even Josh Watley had a good year as well. Josh Watley, okay, a little bit down. And, you know, people get on his case and he's got that to work through, of course. It's always very difficult. But we're talking about Grand Prix here and dumped in the deep end. Brand new team, brand new everything. And um, they performed, you know, well better than I thought they were going to. But Scott Ogden was a cut above. I think Scott Ogden did a... I've got him for, you know, some definite maybe podiums this year. He looked good on occasion last year. If he's carried that forward, if he's made that step. And Honda looked good this year as well. It's funny, every year you get a little bit of a... You know, one year KTM seemed to have a little bit over the top. Then Honda seemed to do it. And then KTM, they raised their game, the manufacturer. And I think Honda might be the bike as well this year. So it's going to be an interesting... Uh, interesting year from that point of view. That's been my biggest, you know, is, is that Honda seem to have made a bit of a step with their bikes, and it's whether any of those riders that are on Hondas can make that work for them. Jaume Masia, you know, Masia is another one that's that's well capable. Um, is he going to be the man this year? I, I've been looking down the list, and I've been changing my mind every time I've yeah. really looked at it. <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it, though, Pete? Because you also got you add in, you know, you've got people like I said, Suzuki. You've got Munoz back, Onchu, um, Tatsuki Suzuki. So many names. There's only six pure rookies that are on the grid for, for 2023 in Moto3. Yeah, as, as you say, the top three are moving up, aren't they? So there's a lot of opportunities for people to move into that void. And uh, Sasaki, I think, is, is the top guy who's staying, isn't he? So I guess on paper, you'd say he's he's the man to beat. Uh, as you say, testing underway in Portimao at the moment. I think uh, day one was uh, Masia was fastest. Day two was Diego Moyera who was sort of impressed us last year. And uh, yeah, so he's carrying that momentum on. And Scott Ogden has been up there also on day two. I think he was sort of fifth overall. So yeah, it's, um, you know, as ever with the junior class, 
you, it's really hard to predict because when people hit their hit their form, they can get some momentum going, and, and they can be hard to catch. So uh, yeah, a lot of lot of big names in there to watch. A lot of proven winners. I mean, uh, you know, okay, John McPhee's left, won a race last year. Um, Andrea Mino hasn't got a seat this year. He won the first race of last year. So we have lost uh, a couple of winners as well as the guys that are moving up to Motor 2. So, it's, yeah, there's going to be a lot of new names or new riders making a name for themselves this year, I think. Well, Moto3 certainly going to be uh, an exciting watch for sure, as always. Moto2, let's move on to that, Mr. Hewin. Uh, obviously, it was uh, Augusto Fernandez who claimed the 2022 title. He moves up to MotoGP. Yeah, uh, Ayagura and Aaron Canet stay in Moto2, but we've also got the wonder kid, Pedro Acosta. We've got uh, Darren Binder dropping down from yeah. MotoGP. Uh, all, all lots of talent to look at. Yeah, lots of talent and good. You know, it's is it going to be Jake Dixon? Is he finally going to crack that nut um, from a British mm. perspective as well? I mean, it's uh, it's going to be again a very interesting. You mentioned Acosta. You know, I think I had him for for great things last year because I thought he'd step up and, and perhaps do it. But I mean, it's a tougher class than what you might think. Maybe this is going to be yeah. his year. Again, it's going to be hard one to predict because you've got a, a load of guys that have come up from Moto Three that are actually really useful on a motorbike. Um, but it's a bigger jump now from Moto Moto Three to Moto Two than it used to be. It's a closer jump from Moto2 to MotoGP now. That was the whole plan with uh, with the Moto2 class going to the Triumphs, more electronics and all the rest of it, and a little bit more um, data acquisition and the like. But Rory Skinner in with the American racing team as well. Will Rory Skinner manage to step up? You know, it's, it's going to be an interesting year this year on on several fronts. I don't expect him to be um, kicking too many backsides. Somkyat Chantra, the, the Thai guy, will he be able to make it work this year? I mean, he's well capable but his consistency is absolutely rubbish. And and if you're going to have that, you know, with the amount of, you know, 21 races we've got for Moto2 and Moto3, um, you're going to need some kind of consistency. But um, if you're asking me to predict again, it's getting a bit like Moto3. <laughs> <laughs> hold that thought, hold that thought. But I mean, Pete Keith says, says it all there, but how do you think somebody like Darren Bind is going to get on? Because obviously he made the big jump from Moto3 director MotoGP, thumbs up from Mr. Hewitt in the background, now obviously losing that seat. And I think it's fair to say through no major fault of his own in terms of on-track performances. He was better than everyone he thought a... he was going to be. He was definitely better exactly, than everyone exactly. thought he was going to be. He was nowhere near the accident waiting for happen that everybody thought he was going to be. I thought he had a bloody good year, really. But anyway. Yeah, and you were one of his harshest critics at the start of the year, I think. So yep. uh, he proved Mr. Hewitt wrong. But Pete, you know, how do you think Binder's going to get, get on uh, for a first yeah, time in Moto2? Interesting point. Yeah, I mean, it, there's not been too many riders, obviously, that have set down for MotoGP. Tony Elias, the very first Moto2 champion, he he did do that. He came down for MotoGP to Moto2 that first year, won it. We've had Sam Lowe's, obviously. He was forced to come back. And, and you know, he's been ra- winning races again as well. So it, it does look like all the things they learn. We had Jake Dixon telling us, didn't we, about the electronics on a MotoGP bike, all this advanced stuff. Well, when, you go, when you've been up against that or dealing with that and then you step back to the to the more simple version of the triumph which is what a lot of riders like let's say you know more restricted electronics no traction control remember on the on the motor two bikes where you can just ride it a bit more and you can be more aggressive and use your your style let's say rather than just do you know having all the techs around you all the time to sort everything out riders like that quite often and uh, yeah i think it'll do darren a lot of good to come you know to have gone to motor gp all that knowledge as Keith says, you know, he, he outperformed what people expected. He was just a bit unlucky, really, that the satellite Yamaha team, you know, disappeared and they went over to Aprilia. So, you know, I think, yeah, I think he can be up there fighting away. He's been sort of edge of the top 10 in the in the test that's going on this weekend. Probably the main thing, or 
championship-wise is that Ayagura has been absent this weekend. He's, um, he's got a hand injury from motocross training. And I think it's not certain by any means that he'll be at the opening round this coming weekend. So, you know, a bit of a setback for him as the reigning, let's say, runner-up, the, the, the top guy in the championship that's coming back with, as you say, Augusto Fernandez moving up. Uh, opposite of Moto3, really, you know, Moto2 got pretty much everybody staying put and some big names like Darren Binder coming in. And uh, yeah, the guy at the top of the list, let, let's say on paper, is has got a setback right at the start. So again, that just opens things up even more, though. But you, you said the names, Pedro Acosta, Aaron Canet, those are the guys in testing that, that look very fast. And uh, Sam Lowe's has been up there as well. You know, he's been he's been topping a few of the sessions, let's say, and been in the top six. So he's he's, an, he's looking like he could come back, let's say. But you touched on a subject, Pete, that is crucial throughout a long season, injury. You know, like these guys have got to avoid it. You know, if you, you catch an injury, the wrong timing is everything when you have an injury. Marquez used to be brilliant at it. He'd get an injury sometime in the off-season with enough time to get fixed by the time we get to round one. If you cop it right between a set of, you know, races that are back-to-back um, and you pick up an injury, that's your season pretty much done. Um, so it's going to be, and that applies to all three classes, and you know probably more so with even MotoGP having double the races every weekend. So you cannot afford to pick up an injury. Having said that, you cannot afford to think I better not ride flat out here because I might pick up an injury. You just got to keep going for it. So it's a it's a real conundrum for some of these riders. You can do without it early on in the season. You need to establish your bike yourself and everything else. So you really don't want it at the start. So Agura bit unlucky really with them um, copying it if he doesn't make it to Portugal because it's like going to school a week late and everybody else is settled, settled into class everyone else has got themselves sorted out there's a bit of a pecking order already emerging um, so going to school a week late um, is, is is not the best thing that's for sure and and as you say Keith of course Argentina following weekend you know pretty unusual we have that at the start of a season isn't it back-to-back races but so if uh, if Agur is not fit for for Portugal to be honest, it'll be a stretch if he's in Argentina. Just the trip to Argentina is hard enough as it is. It's a long old slap from from Portugal anyway. And and then when you get there, it, you you don't know what you're going to get when you get there. It is like the Wild West in Argentina. And the, Argentina is like going back to the 1980s, the early 1980s. Dust-ridden, wild people, wild place to be. You know, you, you, you can't find anything green to eat except maybe a bit of grass. It's all meat, 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 more and more meat. I don't know what they do with vegans out there. I think they're all dead. I mean, it's, it's just like, the, it's an incredible place. There is no doubt about it. Um, the I mean, the Argentinian audience Argentina. will be loving this. I love Argentina just for the fact that it is like <laughs> the 1980s. But Harry, Harry and his sensibilities, he wouldn't get on there at all. <laughs> oh, no, 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 absolutely not. No, I'd lo- I'm sure I've never been. I would love to go. Um, all right, next, well, we'll come on. In a week's time, you can try it. <laughs> Maybe the big boss will send me out there. Um, well, that's Moto2 and Moto3, and we'll come on to Argentina more when we get there. Um, before we do our big predictions, and there are a lot of them, before we even started the show, I was asking guys, remember, we've got to do our one, two, three for for the Grand Prix, and then Pete's like, you know, we've got to do the sprint as well, and I, yeah, we do. So it's a lot of one, two, threes to go through. But before all of that, some questions from you that you have sent in uh, and this first one is from michael uh and i think pete brought this up briefly earlier on just a quick one uh on the rumors of uh calyx potentially building a frame for honda uh, mm. in motor gp bike it doesn't seem the normal way japanese manufacturers work in terms of getting external companies involved in this sort of stuff is this honda potentially pressing the panic button in terms of where they are at in terms of their package and potentially panicking that marquez will leave as without him previously they have looked very average. 
Are you asking me that? Because if you're asking me, I've got a whole mouthful of stuff to go with this. I thought, well, I thought yeah, we be- then, we, go, then we better get it out then. Come on, Keith. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it's progress. I think the, the least company of the Japanese that you would think would go for outside help would be Honda. I, I mean, I, it's unprecedented. The fact they stuck a swinging arm in, you know, that the, 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 they were trying um, last year. The, the, the fact that Honda are, are casting a wider net to try and get the best out of their bike. There's, they've got a quick motor. They've got a bike that works. But it just isn't going where it's going. I, I I really do believe that the Japanese are maturing a little bit in that situation. You know, they're looking for the best product to to to, to get their bike out there. You know, look at Moto Two. It's you know, it's it's a Triumph engine, but it's a KTM or it's a whatever it is. You know, it's it's badging. Badging nowadays is seemingly more important than actual um, engineering. Sometimes you've got stuff that's called something when it actually belongs to something else. So maybe Honda have, have, have started a, a bit of, a, if it does happen, certainly I would I would be looking at, you know, if, if I was Honda, I'd certainly be looking at getting some test chassis over there and stuff like that and paying the money. It's, it's, it pay them, you know, Calix must be rubbing their hands together, I would think, those two boys. They're going to be well happy with that. Um, it, and if they manage to get their name over the door at Honda, that is, that is a massive, massive deal. As I said, unprecedented. But I, I don't look at it as a negative in for Honda. I mean, the Japanese are quite a lot still about face. You know, face is very, very important. And for them to take this step, I mean, this is not a small step. It seems it seems okay to us, maybe. But I, if they do decide to go down this route, it is a massive thing. You know, unheard of and remarkable is, is, is two words that I'd use just to sum it up. But I think still progressive in their thinking in the modern age. I think it just shows the sense of urgency, doesn't it? You know, they could probably get there in the end, but they'll get there quicker, maybe, by using Calex. They've, as you say, they went to the swing arm last year. Probably that was kind of the test. You know, how will we work with this company? How will we get on with them? Will we see results? And then, you know, they've gone, yeah, we liked what we saw there. Presumably the, the, it performed well, the parts that they delivered. And now this is the next step. And I think it is, it's just, it, to answer the question, I think it is the fact they know that Marquez's contract is up for grabs in the not-too-distant future, and he needs results. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, Yamaha, they've got Luca Marmarini coming in, haven't they, to do their engine. We're seeing the Japanese take a more European approach to it. I think Ducati, when they went to the aluminium frame, they also went with a third party. I can't remember if it was Calex, Suter. They got them to build a frame. But, of course, these things are never sort of publicly announced. People sign non-disclosure announcements. Uh, agreements so that they can't talk about it. We'll never see uh, Calix uh, come out and say, you know, yes, that's my chassis because they won't be allowed to do that. But these things go on, I think. And maybe it's just that in this situation, we know about it. But uh, other- again, it, it, it's a quicker way to get things done. And the reason they need a quicker way to get things done, just to kind of wrap that up, Pete, you'd bang on dead right, is that, that there is no testing anymore. There is no, none of the, they don't have the, the, the amount of testing that they could do with the riders as they would have done in the past. So therefore, they need a quick fix. They need something they think is going to work instantaneously. As soon as they go out and do a test somewhere, spend a couple of days and say, yeah, back to back, that's quicker. It's as simple as that. And they don't have that massive test time that they used to have, that they used to be able to go out and test everything they could build and weld together that they'd fire out on the track with, with riders. So you're right. I think that that has is, is set the precedent to some extent at Honda as well as everyone else, that they've got to get it done quicker. Um, and Marquez is the key always, isn't he? And he's 30 years old now, and we still don't know whether he's going to go for that title. This year is going to be what? really interesting from that point of view. I mean, some of my mates, we were doing a bit of a re- ready reckon the other day, you know, sat around the pub trying to work out 
what Marquez was going to do. And then some of them have got him in for, for, for still being right there in the championship. I don't have, you know, as it is. Yeah, as a rider, maybe, but the package has got to work right. Not sure it will. Do you think he'd retire if the results don't come? No, if he's riding really, really well, no, I don't think he'll retire. But will he injure himself again, trying too hard on a motorbike that's not capable of being there? Uh, That's the question. I think he may have matured a bit after sort of wrapping his arm around his neck. Um, I think he might have, uh, he might not go for that extra millimetre if the bike isn't capable of that extra millimetre, which he would have gone for in the past. We'll see. Mm. And Portimao is a good place to see how he's going to go. Dogfight. You're not going to get anybody better than Marquez in a dogfight, that's for sure. He is going to be the man up the inside. And, and Calix, of course, continuing to dominate Moto2, we should say. I think I think uh, there's one Boscoscuro chassis in the top 15 or something in the testing at the moment. So, you, you know, the, you don't you don't dominate to that level unless you've really got a handle on what a racing chassis needs. And, I kind of find that a shame, you know, that they dominate that, Pete. I mean, I think that with, you know, in the old days with Moto3, you could either have a KTM or you could have a Honda and they were split down the middle. And, and if you've run out of KTMs, then you'd have to run a Honda, you know, if that's the allocation had gone that way. It was almost draw straws for whatever you were going to get um, to start your season with. And I, I kind of find a little bit like that in, in Moto2. It's sort of lacking development purely and simply because... You can't have a couple of Boscoscuros versus all the other Calexes. And Calex, Calex is a, a chassis that all the data, that, you know, when you've got all that data and all that information coming back from all those teams, yes, it started off as a great chassis. That's why everybody wanted it. And it, it was generally, over the course of a season, it would win the majority of races. And I think when we used to have the Harris and, and you know, like you say, the speed up, which is Boscoscuro now, um, and there were lots of different chassis that you, you, could, you could have. And, and most of them have won but inconsistently compared with the Calyx, which is why I would have said that, you know, maybe they they're, you know, ought to be able to split that down the middle and say, well, 50% can be Calyxes and 50% can be... And it, it gives development in another area, in another direction, rather than giving someone a bit of a stranglehold on it. But then I suppose you could argue they've all got Triumph engines in and maybe you should allow some other engines in there. So you, you could expand that argument for as far as you want to expand it to. So I'll just shut up. <laughs> but I, I think that's the issue, Keith. The, the single engine, isn't it? If you're if you're a manufacturer, you, we saw it with KTM. They came in, didn't they, to Moto Two? They tried it. But at the end of the day, you've got a KTM chassis being powered by at the time a Honda engine. Well, you know that's not that's not too great. So then they, and in fairness, people thought, look, KTM, they're coming in, massive manufacturer. They're going to dominate this class. But Calix, you know, they held their own, didn't they? And in yeah. the end, now we see KTM go. You know what? We don't need to be doing this. Why don't we just badge? a Calyx with the Triumph engine, and that's what they do. So, Which, which is what I, I spoke about earlier on, the fact that this badging business seems to be more important even than the engineering now. I mean, you only got to look across. You've got Gas Gas in there now as well. You know, mm. there's, a, there's a lot going on from a badging and marketing side of things. We, we've moved into that digital era, haven't we? Everything, you know, it's, 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 it's like everything else nowadays. It's, it's shallow. It's very shallow. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, <laughs> Winston has asked a question. Guys, just a thought. Kawasaki have had a bad start in World Superbikes this season. Is there any chance they might join MotoGP one day, ever? No, zero. I think absolute Uh zero. I think with the way the marketplace is going in the world nowadays, I think the the answer to that has got to be zero. BMW, you know, that was talked about and it was all, it was mooted at one point, wasn't it? You know, why would you? Yeah, you know, you've, you'd almost want to be paid to be joining it at the moment. You'd want Dorna to be stumping up some of the development costs and so on and so forth. I mean, look at Suzuki backing out. We've talked about that so many times. 
Mm. Um, I can't see at this point with the world in the state it's in, um, anybody, you know, even even though Kawasaki, of all of the manufacturers, probably have the most most money. Kawasaki Heavy Industries is a massive conglomerate, you know. So so chipping a few million off of the off the back of that would probably be um, easy. But uh, does it make any sense to get your backside kicked in two championships? Mm, not sure about that. I mean, I, the best I could say is that they've got more chance of Suzuki than Suzuki coming back, put it that way. I mean, it's, it was a similar thing, wasn't it? As Keith said, Suzuki, you know, they, they ripped up the contract, if you like, and left. And that's what Kawasaki did previously. And that, so that's, that's why there's a bit of a black mark there in terms of them coming back. But on the other hand, they have supported World Superbike, haven't they? They pumped a lot of effort, a lot of money into that championship. They've been the stars of that championship for years. So that will work in their favour if they did in the future want to come back to, to MotoGP. But... Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I, I think it would be such a big step. Again, you've got to look at the next contract cycle as far as what will the engine rules be and things like that. If those, if, if Kawasaki suddenly believed, yes, you know, this is this is where we need to be now, that could attract them in. But it would be something like that. Otherwise, as you say, Keith, BMW, you know, they turned it down. It seems they they could have taken these grid places that Suzuki gave up. And, uh, you know, nobody stepped in, have they? It's, it's what we kind of feared. It, we knew it was being reserved for a factory, but no factory has taken that chance. So. Well, there, was, there was chat about it being a badge Suzuki, wasn't there, at one point, the, the, you know, taking the Suzuki team as a whole and badging it. You know, we were talking about you know, manufacturers' badges and the like, but most manufacturers aren't going to be interested in that at that premier level, I'm sure. Um, you know, that would amaze me if ever that happened. You know, Kawasaki... I, the lead-in time, we've talked about this before, the lead-in time for engineering is so long to get this right, just to get the thing on the, on the, you know, into the paddock, let alone developed, is so long that they're going to want to know what the rules are going to want to be you know, almost years in advance to get to, to the right position, to, to even position themselves properly for a, for a full-on onslaught in, in two, or three, two or three years' time of getting in there. Look at, I mean, Suzuki, I mean, they did all the work, Suzuki. I, 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 my heart for that team breaks because they did all the work they came from nowhere they developed a motorbike that worked that won and right from the beginning i remember the first time we saw it at the end of the end of a year in valencia where they had a, had a run out there and the motors went pop they were quite fast but they just weren't quite as reliable at that point everybody was going oh dear then they came back the next year and, and worked a bit harder and then they got to a position where they were winning races and you just think wow what an effort a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What a fan, you know, okay, they've got history, but that means nothing in development of motorbike race or any other motorsport for that matter. You know, it's a case of you've still got to come up with something brand spanking new to make it work to be better than your competitors. And for, and you've got the manufacturers that have got to agree with with the rules as well. That's the next thing. If Kawasaki were to come on, would they get an immediate place on the manufacturers' um, speaking platform? Because they, they would want the, the rules to suit them a little bit as well. You know, so you have Ducati, Yamaha, Honda, all of them on 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 the manufacturers' forum, if you like. They all sit there and they work out what the rules are going to be. And then Danny Aldridge and the rest of Erta have got to got to enforce those rules for the coming year. But it's manufacturers that make them up. So another manufacturer coming in with their own ideas that are pushing in their direction as well. Politically, it's quite a big deal too. So I just can't see it. I can't see anything changing at the moment. I think we're going to be moving forward with what we've got. And maybe we'll get more badging as the year as the years roll on. You know, Ducati, Ducati must be sensitive to the fact at the moment that they are they appear to have too much of an advantage because everything is Ducati. You know, like mm. it's eight bikes of Ducati. Now, will they you know, decide to badge it slightly differently. What will they absorb over the next year or two? There'll be a plans ahead, I'm, I'm sure of it. It would also be a tough one for World Superbike, wouldn't it? Because as you say, Keith, the chances of running a top team in both championships, okay, Ducati do it, but resource-wise, creating a MotoGP team from scratch and still putting all that effort into a World Superbike, that's a big one. So what tends to happen, or we saw previously, is they move from World Superbike to MotoGP. So then you end up hurting World Superbike, which, of course, Dorna owns as well. So, I mean, it's not in their interest to, to do down World Superbike at all, which is having a great, well, the last few years really have been great for World Superbike. Well, having said that, you know, you can't have two top championships. There isn't enough room in it. We've talked about it before. When fans go, you know, you know with the, the amount of spending money that people have at the moment in families generally, it's bloody expensive to go to a race meet and it's bloody expensive to hold a subscription on television. Well, I don't want to go there again because I think we've done all that to death, but... The point is, do you go to the World Superbikes in your country or do you go to a MotoGP? I think you go to a MotoGP personally, even though World Superbikes is giving you really good value for money at the moment and great racing. Um, but again, you've, you've got Ducati that are ruling the roost and everyone says that the Alvaro Batista has a, an advantage over everyone else because he's on a rocket ship. Well, yeah, he does at the minute. But how do you adjust that? They fire Scott Smart. He's got, got the push. So the technical director for World Superbikes has got, got kicked out. He was a very clever fella, even though he wasn't all that popular in some areas. Um, I rate Scott really highly, and I think it was a, a bad thing to get shot of him. But there you go. That's just my opinion. Um, now they've got, you know, it's quite funny that um, I'm always told that, that Kawasaki didn't lose 500 revs. They just weren't given the extra 500 revs that they want. Either way, there's room for improvement for Kawasaki with just an adjustment through their ECU. Um, maybe they should be getting it back. 
you know, they are at the moment. And Yamaha, Top Rack isn't performing in 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 World Superbikes quite as well as I would have expected this year either. Now I don't quite know what the reasoning behind that is, but there's been that big argument, haven't there? Uh, was it Chiabatti that said that maybe I can't remember who it was in Ducati who turned around and said, well, maybe maybe the rest should look at their own um, situations because they're not performing as well as they did last year, whereas the Ducati is performing very well, but the Yamaha isn't turning the times that I haven't checked the sheet, so I don't know this for a fact. I'd have to have a look at the World Superbike seats, and I'm sad enough as it is watching the MotoGP ones. But apparently, you know, lap time wise, Top Rack's not really turning the turning the, the times that he was turning last year in some respects. So that's an issue for the existing teams as well. So suddenly taking that knee jerk action and bringing Ducati back to the Yamaha and the, the Kawasaki perhaps isn't the way to go. But maybe given the the, the Yamaha and the Kawasaki a bit more headroom in World Superbikes will help that out. But getting back to MotoGP, you know. Why would you allow World Superbike to challenge, especially if you owned both series as Dorna do? Why would you Why would you allow World Superbike to challenge MotoGP as the top class? You really wouldn't. So politics are always there. Funny enough, yeah. I went to the Torrens Trophy Award, which um, Erta's top man Mike Trimby was awarded the 2023 Torrens Trophy, which was um, it's a very ancient trophy that the RAC, the Royal Automobile Club. Um, issue every year and it was based originally on safety and of course Mike Trimby is probably the only guy that's won it in recent years that, that is responsible for huge amounts of safety improvements that we've had around MotoGP we've talked about Mike in the past but Carlos Espeleta came across you know 31 year old son of Carmelo Espeleta of Dorna I rate Carlos very very highly he's swift on his feet he's quick he's eloquent and he's come up the hard way he, when he was a boy he had to work for Erta the International Race Teams Association, under Trimby and, and all the rest of it. And he basically was the boy that they used to make do all the jobs. So he, this is a kid who's come right the way through it. He understands the sport really well. And his influence within all of this structure as well is going to be very, very important as we move forward. And he is going to be the man. There's no doubt in my mind about that. He's smart. He's young. He's clever. You know, he, he will move the sport in the right direction in collaboration with all the other interested parties. And I think that's a key as well, the fact that teams manufacturers promoters contracted people are all collaborating now to make it better and we've not seen that you know in our sport up until fairly recent times and that's why it's looking as good as it does they've got a long way to go in certain areas i think the social media i think some of the you know the perception um needs changing very slightly um and we need that ride to survive thing to work really really well as well whereas that sort of slightly Mickey Mouse what version of it that we got um, doesn't promote us in the area that we should. As you can tell, I go off on a bit of a ramble. <laughs> yeah, no, so in, in short, Winston, Kawasaki, probably not going to join MotoGP. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, thanks for the question, though. Uh, right, one more question from Andrew from Wigan. Hello, Andrew. Uh, quick question for you about how you think the stewards will manage to cope with the inevitable incidents that will arise in the sprint races. Petrucci's comments about sprint races and World Superbike being like a bar and brawl give a flavour of what's bound to come this year. Well, judging by the size of Freddie Spencer at the moment, he's putting on a bit of weight for a for a, a siege, I would suggest. <laughs> and I reckon that that might be the case. Um, right. Because it is going to be a tough year from that point of view. And I hope he is well prepped. He needs to be fit. He needs to be strong. And uh, I wouldn't want to be in his place with the, how this season's going to go. I hope they let them race. 
my problem is is if this causes a raft of protests and penalties and all that other bull you know like the the great thing about this this sprint race is going to be a dogfight i think we're all fairly sure that they are going to be using a max a bike to the maximum and that's the attractive bit for us all on a saturday you know your tongue's going to be hanging out watching the screen um, because I'm sure it's just going to be elbow to elbow. It, you know, they're all very, very close in times anyway. We've seen what they're quite capable of on one-lap situations in practice, in testing. But that means nothing when you get to a race. A race is about adrenaline fueled instinct, and that's what we're going to get in a sprint race. Can't wait for that. I mean, if you sort of look at the numbers, isn't it? There's going to be twice the number of races, if you like. Okay, the sprint races are shorter, but they're probably going to be more frantic. So there's probably going to be twice the number of penalties, isn't there? I mean, it just it just goes with having more races. I mean, you see during the end, towards the end of the year where riders receive punishments because it's not the first time they've committed an offence. Well, those sort of things are going to crop up more and more simply because there's more racing going on. There's more people banging bars. As Keith says, there's no, no holding back in these sprint races. Inevitably, people are going to be making mistakes, even, even innocently making mistakes, taking people out, and there's going to be more punishments given. It's going to be a tough one. I mean, uh, that's on the FAM steward side. On the race direction side, of course, um, they, they have changed things a little bit in that Mike Webb and his team are just going to concentrate on MotoGP, the MotoGP class. And I would think that's because of this revised weekend schedule and everything else. So the actual running of the races, let's say, Mike Webb and his team, they don't do the penalties, but the running of the races, yellow flags, all that kind of stuff, um, they will focus more, well, just on MotoGP for this year. So I think that makes sense given that, uh, yeah, it's going to be frantic. I mean, the weekends from, from Friday morning onwards are going to be nonstop. I almost believe that they need to do a different strategy regarding this penalty business. Anything that interferes with the race, the, you know, you don't want to get a situation where the three up on the podium aren't the three that at the end of the day finish in the top three positions. You know, you don't want something that interferes with that. You know, after the race, we get a penalty that comes on and you, you end up with, well, he didn't win it after all. The second place bloke did because so-and-so did this and that and the other. That's really bad news from a from a um fan situation from a spectator situation from a sport in disrepute situation but i think that what they do need to do is if there is a situation where they are considering a penalty if it's not black and white on the day and freddie can't make the decision that he's got to have a long lap penalty or he's got to do whatever he's got to do if it's borderline what they should have is current riders on a committee current riders that make the decision after the event for a penalty the next time out you know, you're going to get a two-lap bloody long-lap penalty or whatever it might be. The problem you have is even Freddie, who I have huge admiration for, despite the fact I was taking the mickey out of him a minute ago, you know, he is an, he is the first alien. He knows how to ride a motorbike. The actual basis of racing a motorbike hasn't really changed that much. The style has and the, the way that you have to manage a bike nowadays has changed hugely. And that's the reason why I say that perhaps in some instances, Freddie's a bit out of date. So therefore, in a borderline situation... I think that there should be two, three, four riders, current MotoGP riders that are on a, a kind of a consultative basis, if you like, after the event in the evening, looking at it from 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 uh, a current rider's perspective on a current MotoGP bike. With you know, Freddie's never come across aero. Freddie's never come across you know ride height adjustments. Freddie's never come across the seamless gearbox. To be honest with you, if you if you start looking at some of the things that Freddie's not come across even though he's a brilliant rider and has been a brilliant rider, um, maybe there's a situation where in borderline cases that, that some other things ought to be considered and can be considered after the race by current riders. I don't know whether that's just going to give it a bigger muddle or not. Maybe a few people at home can <laughs> get involved in that because I, I, I generally hate committees 
I think committees are always a pain in the neck. They take too long. You know, it's something that we especially we don't if have. you're on them. <laughs> Mate, I'd, I'd be the most draconian rule person you'd ever come across. It would be so black and white because, you know, I always think a dictator in these situations is better than a committee. But, of course, what you run into then is, is you know, sometimes a dictator isn't backed up by the people around him. You know, look at the, 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 the crap that Freddie Spencer has had over the last year or so. You know, people getting on his case, but but my argument has always been that Freddie Spencer is the nominated by Dorna by Erta as the man who makes that decision with the other two guys that are with him who, who never get any shit because they're basically non-entities that we don't really know too much about. It's Freddie that always gets all the all the all the poo dolloped on him. But the point being is that you shouldn't be criticising Freddie Spencer. He's just the he's just the point man, you know, of the of the the, the people that have put him in that place. So therefore. If you don't agree with that decision, don't agree with that committee as it is at the moment, that, that race directorship at the moment, then you should be on Dorna's case, not on Freddie Spencer's case. You know, if you want to make a change, you make it at Dorna. You don't, you don't keep bashing Freddie around the year old for it. Um, so my idea is, is maybe you should be looking at a, a, a slightly different, you know, retrospective um, decision making. If it's a, if it's a blurred um, decision and Freddie can't make it there and then, then maybe it's something that carries forward into the next race rather than ruin the one that we've just watched. I want to see racing. We all want to see racing. You know, some of these things that have happened that penalties have been issued for, you go, what? Is that racing or is that not racing? Difficult. It's, it's an interesting idea, Keith. I mean, it's almost like it's trial by jury, isn't it? Uh, by, by your peers, if you like. I, I suppose the problem is the vested interests, but I don't see exactly. why they couldn't be... But I don't see why they couldn't, you know, have some sort of input. So maybe it's not, okay, you are deciding, but certainly they could maybe have some sort of sway. Again, you'd have to have riders who maybe weren't riding for the same manufacturer and everything else. But interesting to have that viewpoint of the, of the current riders. And uh, you reminded me talking about we don't want to see disqualifications from the podium. Of course, we've got these new tyre pressure rules, haven't we, which potentially could see disqualifications on the podium and after the race and things like that. So... First three rounds, we don't need to worry about it. The first three rounds, of course, it's just the system's going to be in place and, and they, they should use it for data gathering. And then the rules will come into force, it sounds like, at round four, all being well. If they think that there's still going to be problems and teams are, are, are too unclear with what pressures they need, maybe it'll get pushed back again. But uh, the interesting thing that for this round, I think, is, okay, you're supposed to still respect the tyre pressure rules. But what if you're one of the satellite teams and you think, you know what, I'll let the factory guys worry about getting these pressures right for round four. I'm just going to run a bit low and just see how quick I can go. Mm. I mean, there's always a chance that people could do that because there won't be penalties. It'll be the same rules as last year where, yes, you have to respect the rules. But we saw, as we saw, teams would run a little bit lower just in case they were stuck in a pack. And I think there, there could be a bit of a divide in these opening rounds of some teams continuing to do that and others going, no, we need to get the data for the rest of the season. So we're going to run a bit higher to be absolutely sure that we're over the minimum pressure. I think you're bang on right, Pete. I think you've hit a nail on the head there with that one anyway. Yeah, the fact of the matter is, is that, that it's like the cart leading the horse. Like the riders are kicking off that if we, if we start off with the right pressures, um, then in a pack, they'll grow too high and we're likely to crash. Well... <laughs> You can't have a perfect world. <laughs> you know, there's a minimum safety pressure that that's made there by Michelin, by Dunlop, by whoever it might be. There is a minimum pressure that Dunlop or uh, uh, Michelin, in, in the case of uh, MotoGP, feel safe with. Now, that's a safety issue. You can't mess with that, really. That's what the manufacturer of the tyre says is a minimum. Now, if you 
start off a little bit lower than that, which is what most people will do because it will build, the pressure will build during the course of, or the temperature will build, therefore the pressure in the tyre will build through the race, particularly if you're in a six-man battle. If you're out front, getting loads of air all over your front tyre, perfect. But you'll end up with a ballooning effect and less contact patch and less squidge um, out of the front tyre. Forget about the back for now. Um, that's a critical situation, but it's one that riders have to manage. Now, we hear lots of squealing about the fact it might, you know, if it, if it does get too high, then we're, we're going to crash. Yeah, okay, well, maybe then with the data acquisition that's on board, they needed to have thought about that and we need to have a tyre pressure monitor on the bloody dashboard, you know, that gives you what where we are in that. If they're, if they're able to pull data off for later um, uh, telemetry reasons to have a look at it and see who cheated, allegedly, then maybe... Maybe they all have a dashboard up there with a, with a light system or something. You know, you're going through amber lights and you're going to a red light. Oh, dear me, tyre pressure's going a bit high and you have to manage your tyre a bit more. Something else has to be done. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to get to the end of a race and then somebody gets knocked off the podium because they were bloody point mm. one of a bar over the top at, for two or three laps of the race or something. It's just, it just will bring the sport into disrepute. We'll end up, who wants to go to that Formula One situation where they've got 355 grid penalties because of whatever it was i mean it was just like you know what it made absolutely no sense to anybody in the entire world except formula one for some reason or another and and, and i just it needs to be kept relatively simple and i can't understand why we can't have a a, a monitoring system on the dashboard they've got so it's a bit complex in the dashboard now you have a wonder how they ever get a chance to have a bloody look at it if you if you've never been on a grand prix motorbike that's waggling its head at 200 mile an hour and you've got a breaking point coming up and someone's around you and the arrow's messing you about. It's like a blur. You know, they hang out a board over the, hang out a board at pit straight. Well, even in my day when I was going 50 mile an hour slower than these guys are, you had a job to see it. <laughs> so the more information up on the dashboard is going to be tricky and they've got to read some of the texts that are coming across as well. There's other things that are going on on the dash. But all the same, a simple light thing that goes from green, you're in, the, in, in to, to orange to red, uh, will give the rider an idea that he's getting a bit pumped up in the front end, so to speak. I, I, th I think some teams can do that, Keith. I think some some teams even now have had some sort of warning that their tyres are getting a bit high. What the riders say is that it's not much you can do if you're in a if you're in a group and, you're, and your pressure's too high. What are you can do? Slow down and, and, and yes. drop back ten seconds. That's exactly what you have to do. You're going to have to manage it like you have to manage tyres in just about every other sport. The problem is you you can't. It is what it is. How else are you going to change it? If you want a lower tyre pressure to start with, that's fine. But if it's too low, then you're in trouble with the rules. And if it builds because you've had the correct tyre pressure in the first place, and it's just where you are in the in in the in the pack, then you are going to have to work around that. You know, you, you can't have your cake and eat it. It's one of them situations where there is, there is no way around this. You know, tyre pressure builds in a pack, so you have to manage that. Are the races long enough? Will it justify it? I think, if, think, again, if I keep making this Formula One analogy, which I'm sorry to do, but they are much longer races and they have more of an opportunity to manage things and they're not stuck together in a massive great pack. They're quite the opposite quite often. Um, you know, it's, it's a different thing. So maybe I'm trying to bring too much Formula One into to MotoGP, which I would equally hate. Um, but, it does, <laughs> but it does need... And it's not that I hate Formula One. I don't at all. I really, really don't. But the, the point being is, is that we need to manage this in a simple way because there is no way around it. It is, it is what it is. There's a minimum tyre pressure that the manufacturers say is safe. 
um, and below that they consider it to be unsafe but everybody's going to try and get to that lower pressure because initially that's going to give you exactly what you want early on and it's going to if you if you're in a pack it will build into the into the parameter that they've set for for the correct tire pressure but if you're in a pack and you've set off with something that's that's already a little high or, or above the, the limit you're going to find that building if you're if you've slipped into a pack so it's it's almost predicting where you're likely to be in a race what tire pressure you're going to put on it and if you've predicted it wrong then you're going to have to manage it through a light system yeah. or whatever it is that some of them have got well let's see how that unfolds sorry to cut that short but we are running out of time and we need to get our predictions in in no i'm, I'm speaking so we don't do predictions i know you are <laughs> uh, as much as we all love tire pressure chat uh, it is now time for predictions so uh, well thank you andrew for that question by the way Predictions. Deep breath, everybody. Uh, right, we've got about five minutes. Let's rock it through this. Um, okay. First up, I would like... And get involved. Send us your predictions. Podcast at crash.net or uh, we're at Crash MotoGP and all the social medias. Um, first uh, first prediction. We I want your one, two, three uh, finishing order for the Portimao Sprint Race. And I'm going to go to Pete first. Who? Right. Well, I'm going to roll. The, I'm going to roll the dice Eight. on this one. <laughs> so, right, I'm going to go only satellite riders. Oh, I'm okay. going to go Jorge Martin for the win in the sprint. Oh. Uh, I'm going to go Bezeki second and Marini third. So okay. all Ducati, all satellite. Okay, there's a mix of 22, 23 bikes, but yeah, I, I yeah, I, I think those guys might not be the fastest, but again, it's their opportunity. What have you been drinking? <laughs> <laughs> come on keith then what are you going for oh bloody hell or do you need Bang more time Zarco. Uh, i just fancy a bit of Oliveira for a for a bloody third oh, place okay i just i just feel like a bit of Oliveira. he's his home grand prix he loves it there he goes mm-hmm. good rah 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 so that's yeah there you go Okay, and I'm going for, I also fancy a Jorge Martin. I think he'll be very good in the sprints this year. So I think he's going to get P1. I'm going to go Bastinini second and Zarco third for my my podium. So uh, you've got a bit left field with the Oliveira, but we'll see if that one comes to fruition. Uh, GP, the main one. Right, Keith, let's go with you. Boring. I know. I don't, I don't want to be boring, but I'm going to have to be boring. It's got to be. It's still got to be Bagnaia. Yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of difference between the, the sprint and the and the and the um, big race at this point. I really don't. Okay. Let me have a bit of. I think I might bring Quattararo into a play there as well. But then again, I feel again. I'm going to talk myself out of it. I know I am. <laughs> hmm. Bagnaia again. Bagnaia okay. again. Yeah. Alex Marquez. Oh, okay. Yes, now we're talking. Alex Marquez. I just feel like a top three is there for him. He's got on with that bike right from the get-go. I like once it. Once the adrenaline starts pumping. And Alex Marquez is a really slow builder. He was slow to win the Moto3 World Championship. He was slow to win the Moto2 World Championship. And he's had enough time now. Um in this class, and he's on a bike that seems to be working for him. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to have a bit of Alex Marquez in there, I think. Um, okay. And who's, who's on the final step? And Zarco. Zarco. All righty. So Banyaya, Alex Marquez, and Zarco for Keith. One, two, three in the Grand Prix. Uh, Pete, 
There you go. Uh, Banyaya, Bastianini, Quattrari third. Oh, boring. Ugh, you yeah. just want the points. I, roll, I rolled the dice on the sprint. Yeah. I yeah, couldn't okay. do it with <laughs> You're allowed that. Hey, excuse I me. Well, I... Can I ask a question? Yes, you may, Keith. Do we get half points for the sprint race? Oh, maybe we should do it that way. <laughs> I didn't even think you could tell how far I thought this through. Not very. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We'll do half points for the sprint and then four points for the, the Grand Prix. We'll be in line with MotoGP. All right, Pete, Banyaya, Bastini, Quattararo. Uh, I have done very similar. I've gone for Banyaya, Bastinini, but I put Pazeki on the final rung of the podium. I just feel like he might shine through. Um, those are our sprint and our Grand Prix one, two, threes for Portimao. And now we're going to do our season predictions. We're locking these in now. We cannot change them. <laughs> now, the first few we've got to do, they may seem a little bit uh, pointless, but we're going to try them anyway. First up, who is going to be your rider champion, Pete? Oh, right, so just the champion. Just yeah. the champion, please. Uh, Banyaya. Banyaya. Keith? Yeah, I'm sorry. He's he's 100% on it this year. Barring an injury, you, you, you'd you be an idiot to bet against him. But having said that, it's motorbike racing, so we'll be completely wrong. Well, I'll be the idiot, and I'm going to go for Bastianini. <laughs> <laughs> Could be awful, but I, that's what I'm here for. Um, manufacturer title or constructor title, however you want to label it. I'm almost embarrassed you're asking us this, Harry. Well, I <laughs> yeah. know, but it's motorbike racing. I just need it locked in, all right? Oh, do you, know, you know what? Should I just put Ducati for all three? Yeah, that's a good idea. All right, there we go. Ducati, Ducati, Ducati. Oh, do I want to be an idiot on that one? No, I just can't see anybody else doing that. <laughs> um, okay, team, here we go. Maybe, maybe something, something more s- spicy. Uh, Pete, let's come back to you on this. <laughs> Ducati, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's going to be the red bike. They might, still, are you, what? Keith, Ducati as well? It's got to be the red bikes. Um, Anything other than these are going to be just speculation. Someone's going to come to the end of the year and said, I said Aprilia. (laughs) You (laughs) blokes don't know nothing. I said Aprilia. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to go Pramac. You know, that's that's a good, Harry, that's a good shout. I'll give you that. Yeah, it's a good shout. Thank you very much. Um, You know, you never know. If we had any ball, we'd have done explode. Yeah, exactly. Honestly. Right. Okay. We've got the, the fairly straightforward ones out of the way. Biggest flop. Who's going to be the biggest flop this season or what's going to be the biggest flop or disappointment? How do we want to label it? Keith, KTM, straight out of the bag. Okay. Not been impressed with them over preseason. They're going to have to do something exceptionally special. And I'll tell you what, if they do, um, well, what can I say? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing I say is going to make it any better for them if they've actually pulled it out of the bag. But really, at the moment, they just seem to be having a proper struggle with it again. Yeah, I have to agree. Pete? Yeah, yeah, KTM. I mean, at this moment in time where we're doing this after, you know, two test sessions, I mean, Francesco Guidotti has said, hasn't he, this week, I mean, he's come out and been pretty plain with it. They're not happy. They're too far away, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, fair play to them. You can't. You can hide a bit in testing, can't you? But... Once you get to the race weekend, it becomes clear, and he, you know he's making clear that uh, they're not where they need to be. So right now, I, I think that's the obvious. Uh, and Binder put his put his bloody life on the line just to get that time to pop him up the up the order a little bit as well, didn't he? I mean, he said that was a hell of a lap that I put in there. I had to really work hard to get that time in. So mm. if Binder's saying that, then you can be fairly sure it was a tough lap. Okay. 
I, I feel a bit bad now. I went, I went for Vinales. <laughs> I just thought maybe he might be a bit of a disappointment. He pretty well, looks good. Morbidelli or Vinales are two of the two of the guys that you would actually have a little bit of money on. I didn't want to pick on an individual. I know, and well, now I feel bad. Yeah, well, so you should. <laughs> right, okay. Biggest, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go first in this. My biggest surprise of the season is going to be Morbidelli. I think, I, I was reading a lot about how Valentino Rossi is spending 60% or something of his time and training with Morbidelli to try and recapture that form. I'm hoping it might work and Morbidelli might surprise us all and get back to to being a, as far forward as he can on that Yamaha. So my my one is Morbidelli. Who's next? Alex Keith Marquez. not looking like he agrees with that. Alex Marquez. <laughs> Alex Marquez. Okay. That's a, that's a nice one. And Peter? I will go with Bezeki. It all depends on what you, you count as a surprise, doesn't it? I mean, if Miguel Oliveira wins a race on the... Is that a surprise, though? You know, he's already a race winner. It's a good bike, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'll go with, uh, with Bezeki. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of potential uh, surprises. Will we have a first-time race winner? And who is it going to be? You get one. So who's going to be the first, the first one to win a race for the first time? Well, like for, for me again, that's going to be Marquez. I mean, I think. Okay. I mean, I, I just I think that he's going to be the surprise, and the reason he's going to be the surprise is because he's going to win a race this year. All right, Pete. I'll go Bezeki on that one again. <sighs> yeah. I've got Bezeki as well. <laughs> All right, two Bezekis I mean, in a Zarko, of course, has never won yet. Oh, you know, course. Oh, that's a good shout, Pete. That... You know what? Oh, that's no, too late. It's too late. <laughs> yes, it's too late shout. now. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think of. Oh, that is annoying. Yeah, I had him down this... as my title hope, and it could be this weekend. <laughs> it really could yeah, be. It does go well down here. Well, yeah, he does. Well, well there you go, we ladies have... and gentlemen. Three dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll get everyone will be blocking in Zarco for that one. Okay, we have one rookie in the field this year in the form of Moto2 champion, Augusto Fernandez. Where in the standings will he finish? Wow. And I think at the end of this, depending on how close we are, we can have plus or minus two. So that's what I'm allowing. Right, okay. And I'm well, going to go I first because you two look like yeah, you don't know on. what you're doing. I'm going to put him in 14th position. In the standings, that's what I'm going for. Fourteenth, fourteenth out of twenty-two. Then. Out of twenty-two. So obviously, there'll be a few few wild cards, but twenty-two full-time, right? Okay. Yeah, out of the full-time um, riders, fourteenth. I'm putting him. Yeah, I'll go eighteenth. Oh, okay. And, and that's on the basis that Raul and Remy were what twenty-second and twenty-third on that you bike last year. Yeah. You just you just nicked the place that I wanted, so I'm I'm gonna have to go. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go twentieth then. I'm going behind you. <laughs> oh, have I been a bit too optimistic there? All right, fourteenth, eighteenth, and twentieth from us three. Um, now, we spoke a lot about Moto3 and Moto2, but who will come out on top? Who is going to be your Moto3 rider champion? Masia. Okay. <laughs> Sasaki for me. Yeah, that's a good shout. That's a yeah, very good shout. I was going to go Sasaki as well. Okay. Trouble that's is, two Sasakis and a Masia. It's the inconsistencies, isn't it, between. Yeah, that's the problem you've got in Moto3. Masia is inconsistent. Sasaki is inconsistent. <laughs> it will be not. They are bloody fast. Somebody else. Yeah. Okay. Last prediction then. Moto2 rider champion. I'm going to go first. Pedro Costa. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kennet. Okay, Aaron Kennet, nice. Um, yeah, it's between those two on paper now. Isn't it? I'm, I'm going to go Acosta just because Kennet okay. hasn't won a race still yet, has he? But I mean, he's capable of winning the championship, definitely. All I think right, he was then. Well, really good. Uh, you know, Bo Bensnader was going quite good as well. I mean, mm. I don't think he's on for the championship, but he's really picked up his pace over the winter mm. as well. There's, there's actually some really good names out there. You know, Jake Dixon, I'd like to have a bit of an each way on Jake, but Jake really looks like he's got to get... He's a racer. I don't think testing all the time is is something that... You get bored with testing, messing around. There's actually quite a lot of names out there that, that, that could... <laughs> I mean, Sam Lowe's, if he could ever put a whole year together without getting himself injured, then he could, he do could something be one special. to watch. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, probably, it's probably harder to predict Moto2 now than it's ever been. Mm. well we've just done it so we're stuck with it now all of those predictions are locked in i've written them down in bold underlined send us yours as well uh crash motor gp on socials podcast at crash.net is the email we'd love to hear them uh, and we can keep track of them throughout the year as well to see how they're going um that is it the big preview show for round one is done uh we're very excited lots of racing action moto three moto two sprint and of course, the main event, the Grand Prix. There's going to be a lot to talk about. We'll be here the Wednesday after the Grand Prix to chat all things Portimao and look forward to all things Argentina. It's two races within two weeks, isn't it? And then we get a break. So it's going to be all action-packed. Make sure you're tuned in across Crash.net for all the very latest news and analysis across the week. And as I said, we'll be back with you the Wednesday after the Grand Prix. Questions? Crash Motor GP on socials, podcast at crash.net. Write them, send them on a voice note. If it's a voice note, keep it to 30 seconds. Please leave your name and where you're from. And please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Um, right, that is it from me, Harry Benjamin, from Pete McLaren and Keith Hewitt. We will see you after the first Grand Prix of the year. Who's your money on? We'll find out soon. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.